Hello again, everybody. This is Christian Brassar again with another episode of the Historical Thoughts and Interpretations podcast. So today, what we are going to be looking at is the Teutonic Knights and their legacy in Eastern Europe. And so before we get into that, I just want to give a quick little message and we will get right into it. Dear listeners, thank you so much for listening to the Historical Thoughts and Interpretations podcast, and I hope that you've been enjoying the thoughts given within. But I would like to ask if you would consider making a pledge to the podcast on Patreon. I have many projects in mind for this show, and the books, paper, and so on needed to produce the episodes will not be free. Help keep historical thoughts flowing so that we can interpret the past and learn from it. You may pledge any amount that you like and whatever you choose to give will be appreciated. Thanks a lot. If you'd like to donate, you can go to patron.podbean.com slash historical thoughts. All right, and now let's get back to the episode. So today, the title of the podcast is Failed Crusade, but Imperial Glory, the Teutonic Knights' Imperialistic Legacy in Eastern Europe. History is full of migrations and invasions that left their mark on populations, histories, and cultures. In this study, I will offer a glimpse into the impact which the Teutonic Knights, who were German Christian crusaders, and we will be looking at the impact they had on the Baltic region of Eastern Europe. I'll focus on the crusaders' actions in pagan Prussia and Lithuania, and after summarizing their history in the area, I will argue that their impact included both immediate consequences and a later sort of symbolic legacy, which even had an influence on Adolf Hitler and his Nazi ideology. To begin my analysis, I will first look at the Prussian and Lithuanian pagan religions. So there, the religions here, before, before Prussia and Lithuania became uh, Christianized, they their faith, the faith, the local faith was pagan, and the the faith included nature worship, which involved the keeping of sacred forests, for example, and the veneration of animals, the sun, and the moon. There was also at one point a pagan. There's said to be a pagan pope who held much influence over Prussian and Lithuanian societies. If the pagans won a battle, for example, offerings of booty were brought to the gods. And Against this pagan faith came the Christian sword, which was carried by the Teutonic Knights. Christian missions had tried to convert Prussia starting around 1200, and this was followed soon after with a Polish crusade. This crusade ended in disaster, and the pagans retaliated with such force that Conrad of Mazovia, a Polish duke, invited the German Teutonic Order to defend his lands. The Teutonic Order's leader, Hermann of Salsa, was reluctant to take the offer, but he eventually agreed after the order was guaranteed a free hand and ownership of the lands it, was, it would be given, and then eventually conquered. In 1230, the order started their conquest of Prussia from a Polish fort called Chomno. After decades of hard fighting, the order finally secured the land by the end of the 13th century. Just before the Prussian Crusades end, however, the Knights found themselves in a new war with pagan Lithuania. This conflict started in 1283, when the Lithuanians attacked Christian-held Livonia. The Lithuanians also assisted Livonian burghers, or landholders, who were in a fratricidal quarrel with the Teutonic Order. 
this Teutonic-Lithuanian conflict raged on brutally for about a century. Unfortunately for the Knights, the political situation changed drastically in 1386. In February of that year, the Lithuanian ruler Wagolia uh, converted to Christianity. In agreeing to convert both himself and Lithuania, he gained the right to marry the Pol Polish heiress and thus the Polish throne. By now, a century after Duke Conrad's invitation to the, to the Teutonic Knights, the Poles saw enemies in the German Crusaders. The order also soon came under the control of expansionist Grand Masters Conrad von Wallenrod von and Conrad von Jungungen, giving the Poles good cause for concern. This new situation led to the Battle of Grunwald, also known as Tannenberg, on July 15, 1410. Not only did this battle devastate the Order's fighting forces, they were also not able to use it as recruitment propaganda. Before, they could use defeats to encourage pious Christians to take up the cross and join their crusade. But now, how could they call for crusaders against fellow Christian Poles and the newly converted Lithuanians? Also, Eastern Europe was now focused on the threat of the Ottoman Turks, who were still non-Christian. The order survived for another century in the Baltic and even fought more wars against Poland, but the damage had been done at the Battle of Grunwald, or Tannenberg. In 1521, the Knights were forced to submit themselves and Prussia to Polish control. So I am completely aware that it is a very brief summary of the Teutonic Knights' history in Poland, and because there's so much more to, to look after. The, for example, the pagan pagan religion among the uh, the pagan Lithuanian religions, for example, there's so much uh, that we could go into, but even then there's not a whole lot of written sources about that. There's also the Teutonic Knights battle against the Republic of Novgorod, one of the older, eventually Russian uh, principalities. So there's, there's a lot that I'm skipping over here, of course, but uh, the focus of this is not the history of the Teutonic Knights in the Baltic per se, but the legacy that that has been left behind and some elements of that. So, uh, having gone into that, what was the Teutonic Knights' impact on the Baltic? Some consequences of their presence were evident fairly soon. With the help of ethnic German masons, they built stone and brick fortifications instead of wooden ones, which kept their garrisons alive for much longer. And many of these fortifications also, of course, still survive, uh, still is being spread across the Baltic landscape today. Also, while they, while they were in the Baltic region, the Teutonic Knights allowed secular ethnic Germans to influence the, re the region by importing farming, carpentry, tool making, and other innovations and practices. The Teutonic Order's presence, of course, affected the religious composition of the area, as we have seen, because Prussia had become Christianized through their conquest. In 1252 even, well before Lithuania's conversion in 1386, the Lithuanian ruler Mindaugas became Christian and a German bishop had crowned him the King of Lithuania. The new Christian king had been baptized, but he hardly changed his habits apparently as he was not a very religious man. William Urban notes that the order also did not really press this issue, being more concerned about the political implications of Mindaugas' conversion. In 1259, the pagan Samogitians attacked the Christians once again and coerced Mindaugas to revert back to paganism and continue fighting against the Teutonic Order. 
So the conversion was ultimately not as successful as it might have initially seemed. Mendaugas's case shows how difficult it was for the Teutonic Knights to convert pagan Lithuania. Paganism was entrenched there, as the, as the Lithuanian political system was more successful than that of the Prussians. The religious and political systems were complementary, as the faith was connected with, with success and fortune. In being powerful and prosperous, the Lithuanians were able to resist the Teutonic Knights' militant proselytizing for a time. And in 1386, as we've seen, Grand Prince Wagolia and Lithuania finally became Christian. This deprived the Teutonic Knights of their very reason for being in the Baltic, crusading against pagans. And Lithuania's conversion to Roman Catholicism did not result, I guess you could say that it did result from an order's crusade if you look at it from the point of view that Lithuania wanted to convert to Catholicism to and build this alliance with Poland. Um, but there wasn't, it wasn't really due to Teutonic Knights' conquest of Lithuania. Nonetheless, Mendaugas' conversion in the 13th century did have some far-reaching consequences. Upon becoming Christian, he had allowed German settlers into Lithuania and even named the Teutonic Order his heir. Also, his short-lived alliance with the Knights allowed him to take lands in what is now modern-day Russia, expanding the Lithuanian northeastern and southwestern frontiers. This, along with the initial elimination of his rivals, gave future Lithuanian rulers a stronger united power base and allowed them to receive tribute from the western Russian principalities. But the legacy of the Teutonic Knights in the Baltic is more lasting than Mandagos' brief dabbling with Christianity. Their brutal struggle against the Lithuanian pagans had become a symbol of struggle of East versus West, which is a very common, um, I, I would say, trope when you're looking at, at Eastern Europe. This meeting place of, of cooperation, but often struggle between the East and the West. In Lithuania and Poland, the conflict was seen as a war of German aggression and expansionism. The Germans looked upon the Baltic Crusades for glory in their victories against the, quote, enemies of Christendom. The Knights became part of a historical legacy associated with Prussia, the conquered eastern land. In German culture in the 18th century looked to the Teutonic Crusades and eastern migration of German peoples as an example of proto-German imperialism. And this mindset was becoming popular as Prussia, Austria, and Russia divided Poland between the three of them. The Teutonic Knights also became associated with Nazism and Adolf Hitler's ideology. William Urban notes that a form of the infamous stabbed-in-the-back theory was actually present in the Teutonic Knights era. After their loss at Tannenberg, the Teutonic Knights could not admit that their enemies had fought better, according to Urban's argument. Instead, their Grand Master, Heinrich von Plauen, said that, quote, secular knights of Polish ancestry in Teutonic service had fled the battle, which caused panic in the Crusader lines and cost them the battle. A similar conspiracy, of course, led to the more, more widely known and more infamous stabbed-in-the-back theory, the one that the Nazis had, had used in the 20th century, except this time the Jewish people and not Polish knights were the scapegoats. Finally, Adolf Hitler also wanted Lebensraum, or, quote, a living room for the future of the German people. 
as quoted in Alec Bull Alan Bullock's a book, Hitler, A Study in Tyranny. Hitler perceived Eastern Europe as the ideal place for this living space, this Lebensraum. In his titular work, Mein Kampf, Hitler wrote that Germany was to, quote, march along the road of, Teutonic, of the Teutonic Knights of old to obtain by the German sword sod for the German plow and daily bread for the nation. And that is quoted in William L. Shire's The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich, A History of Nazi Germany. Also, Nazi teachings were taught in the so-called order castles, or, or Ordensbergen. Only the most dedicated Nazi members were admitted into the Ordensbergen schools, which were conducted in medieval Teutonic order castles. This included Marienburg, which had been a Teutonic stronghold. By Hitler's time, it was close to the Polish border, and this made it all the more clear that in, it, in its struggle for Lebensraum, Nazi Germany would continue the old war of the Teutonic Knights against old the Slavic people that were perceived as enemies. And the Teutonic Knights' crusade in the Baltic was not particularly successful. They managed to convert Prussia, but they failed to bring pagan Lithuania into the Christian fold by themselves, directly. And then they met with devastating defeat in the 15th century at the Battle of Grunwald. Even so, their activities were romanticized centuries later. Their struggle was used as a rallying cry for German expansionists who looked towards the east for lands to conquer from the Slavic peoples, resurrecting old east-west enmities. And that's it for the episode today, a much shorter one than usual, but it was still a topic that I find the Teutonic Knights, a, it's a very fascinating, a very fascinating part of history because um, we think, when we think of the Crusades, we think of the Middle East, uh, and of course, and of Palestine, the Holy Land, which of course, um, there were many different Crusades, and uh, they lasted for, for centuries, but there was also a massive crusade in the in eastern europe in the baltics so there was a and so that might be somewhat of a lesser known crusade and and also i i guess i do have to admit because uh my interest in this in this aspect of history the teutonic knights and the uh crusades in in prussia and lithuania i, I have to admit that i guess my interest in that sparked was sparked with the uh, Total War uh, Medieval Two Kingdoms campaign, which had a Teutonic Knights expansion. So, <laughs> so that was uh, uh, a computer game. So it was uh, it was very interesting to me. So that sparked an interest in that in that um, in that period of in that aspect of history. And also now uh, going bit going further a little bit, um, me being very interested in as kind of a specialist in Russian history. So you, you do have that element, as we've mentioned before, with Alexander Nevsky fighting the Teutonic Knights, the Battle of Lake Pipus, for example, or the Battle of the Ice, as it's called, and, and those kinds of things, which are a big part of, of Russian myth, of, of the Republic of Novgorod in particular, but also in modern-day Russia. That's another, um, another big myth. Uh, in in Russian in Russian thinking and in Russian history as well, it's a very big important thing. And and, that, and there again, you could have an element that's another element of East versus West, where you have the Western Germans invading Russian territory, and then here's 
Nevsky and the uh, Russian principality fighting back and defeating. So even in uh, World War II, you see little bits of, of, of Soviet propaganda when the Germans were invading the Soviet Union. The Soviet propaganda was bringing up the memory of Alexander Nevsky fighting the Teutonic Knights. And there's even a poster of com directly comparing Alexander Nevsky with modern Soviet soldiers fighting the uh, fighting the Germans in Teutonic Teutonic Knights. So that's a very fascinating thing. So I need to be very careful that I don't get off track. So and also the 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 fact is too that most Crusades, of course, the Crusade the the Catholic Crusades against um, again in the Middle East were of course against um, Muslim. Uh, uh, against Islam and Muslim governments over there. So, but in Eastern Europe, it wasn't against Islam. It was against paganism. So by then, most of Europe had become Catholic or, or Orthodox Christian. And then, and so, but now you still have vestiges of paganism in, in, in Prussia and in Lithuania, one of the last European powers or, or governments to to convert to Christianity. So that's a very interesting, very unique aspect as well. And so, but uh, for now, uh, that's a little introduction to the idea of Teutonic Knights and their influence or their legacy in the Baltic region. And so for now, we will be signing off and we will see you next time and have a great one. Hi, this is Christian Massar again, and I would like to say as well that right now I am recording this on March 24th, 2020. And at this time, the world has been dealing with the coronavirus um, pandemic. And so at this point, you know, I just want to say that just little things and obviously I'm not a doctor or anything like that. So certainly don't come to me for medical advice. Listen to doctors and listen to um, organizations such as this Center for Disease Control and CDC and everything like that and abide by local conditions with if you're in quarantine please stay in quarantine and uh, try not to go out as much as possible and everything like that but so but what I would like to, to do what I would like to say is that in a lot of these these kinds of things and this is true in any time in history, but, you know, we're living in history now. And if one thing I would like to ask is try not to succumb to panic. Of course, keep yourself healthy, but also being logical and making sure that one does not panic and, you know, submit to you know, false inf or take on false information just without thinking or something like this. That is also very dangerous. And sometimes panic it can spread uh, faster than the actual virus, especially in this day and age where information can be spread so quickly. You can just share something like bloop, just one button and there it is on Twitter, there it is on Facebook, there it is on Instagram. So I would just like you, uh, I would just ask you rather, um, I should say, I would ask you all to just, just be wise and take care of yourself and take care of those you love and take care of your friends and your neighbors. And also, and do not do not panic, because that is the one of the worst things we can do. When we panic, we start to not think straight. We take uh, improper actions. So I should keep this short, but I would just like to say that just keep keep hope, um, and you know this too shall pass. 
and and just be sure to keep in touch with your your loved ones and your friends and um and be good to all in this in this time that is scary for many and it and i do believe it is a serious thing but in any case do not panic and take care of yourself and each other